What is creativity? What are its origins? And how do we access creativity in our lives? This podcast explores the intersection of creativity, innovation, and everyday life. At this crossroads, we experience wonder and magic, and if we're lucky, transformation. It's the quotidian. Welcome to The Quotidian. I'm Bradley Dennis. You may not know who Jeff Barney is, but you definitely know someone like him. Charming, dedicated to community, and immensely intelligent and talented. Jeff is known around Saxpaha, North Carolina as the mastermind behind the Saxpaha General Store, an unassuming but well-respected bastion of sophisticated country fare, a remarkable selection of wines and suds, and a country corner grocery that represents the high end of the scale. In the podcast, Jeff starts out as is his inquisitive nature by actually interviewing me a bit, and we talk about where this podcast originated, which, being fair, came from a conversation with him, actually sitting on picnic blankets side by side at our favorite outdoor music venue, which is just down the lane from his shop. From that conversation four years ago came my inquiry into what would eventually become the Quotidian and its parent entity, Carolina Commons. Jeff represents everything that's good about a commons, good faith, a dedication to service and a relentless pursuit of truth. This is the first half of a wonderful discussion that ranged nearly two hours. I'll post the second half uh, shortly after, where Jeff speaks about his passion for Rudolf Steiner's educational philosophy and why a robust emotional education is foundational to a functional republic. Thank you as ever for being here. If, If you like the show and you want to help us reach more people, please consider sending a review, leaving a thumbs up, or spreading the word however you can. So thanks. Please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Jeff Barney on The Quotidian. Nice equipment. So how is this, uh, how did this come about? The podcast? Yeah, how, how is it related to the larger... The, whatever the umbrella is, the co- commons. That's a good question. <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> Maybe I'll do the interview. Yeah, you do the interview <laughs> with me. So I think it's funny because, you know, when we first talked about all this stuff, it was just learning about sense making and what the hell all of that meant. Um, 
and just being really enthralled by the ideas and and it all made sense to me like yeah this is a this is a great way to go about living and to address the times we're in and then the pandemic hit um felicity and i both kind of looked at each other and and said we do not like the way we're living we you know we're spending way too much time with the business um family is you know we haven't taken a vacation in five years um yeah you were sort of grappling with that when we sat on the hillside yeah at that point even yeah yeah and 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 that sucked it's like okay we need to pivot and this seems like a really good time to do that and i think the entire world well people with means at least <laughs> could do that it's a little bit of a privilege but Basically saying, okay, we need to reassess, obviously, how we're doing everything, how we're living. Um, I mean, for us, primarily, it was sell the business, figure out what we can do to make family the center of, of our lives. Personally, for me, it was I've lost touch with my creative passion. I was, I was a theater performer and technician and creator for almost two decades, and life kind of interceded or I allowed other priorities to intercede. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this was, okay, well, how do I reconnect to my passions? And then the sense-making piece came in as sort of a reminder that I can use that power <laughs> for good in a way. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, how do, I take, how do I take the thing that I'm really good at and that right. I love and focus it towards helping people make sense? Yeah. And that's, that's where the podcast came from. That's where Creative Commons came from, or Carolina Commons came from. Carolina Commons, yeah. it's called, yes. And the idea <clears throat> being, it's just, it's a platform. It's a means to help people engage creatively to make sense of things and to, to build those epistemic tools Yeah. Um, to, make, to make better sense of And you of have partners in that process or I don't they, yet I mean there's there it's kind of so this is Carolina Commons itself is something that you that emerged out of you and Felicity's yeah. oh, uh, just me just you yeah mm -hmm. and your graduate work yeah 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 and the graduate portion was I rem I mean undergrad for me I went to Evergreen that's kind of where we started talking about oh, all of this. Yeah. Remember that? That's right. I forgot that you actually went to Evergreen. Yeah. So firsthand, uh, before and after kind of experience. Exactly. Yeah. Man, so, that must have been like karmic impact for you. It felt like that, it when you when you would, uh, yes when you then went into the exploration of that. Oh my god. It, oh god. It made you me know mad. I didn't properly consider I that. Totally understood. I yeah. So it hit me on a real visceral level oh, because here's a place I spent so much time in that had such a huge impact in my life. I mean, the wonderful thing about Evergreen is that you have undergrads have resources there that most grad students dream of. Right. Yeah. And and if you're motivated, if you have the wherewithal, you will take advantage of those, and you'll be able to do amazing amazing things. Uh -huh. And so it lined me up. I mean, I left Evergreen and I walked into exactly my dream job because I knew exactly what I was looking for. So yeah, that whole sweet. environment was. It was so formative in so many meaningful ways. And I think more so than most collegiate experiences. Yeah, yeah. Because it is, I mean, I... Well, it's what we yeah. demand out of it in a way. You know, it's like um, interdisciplinary and self-engendered and those mm -hmm. things that uh, that I, I was disillusioned about from 
higher education was there's so much potential in something that then went also sideways for some of those same reasons I guess, I'm guessing yeah exactly I think there's there's a permissiveness at evergreen and a, a an empowering that is is very uh, it's laudable and a lot of the professors are there for the same reasons the students are because they can do whatever the fuck they want so you were there before Heather and Brett were there yeah mm-hmm. in fact our paths kind of I left in I graduated in 96 and I think they got there at the end of the 90s maybe early he off. should have you on and talk about the before and after <laughs> I would love it I would love to talk to yeah. him he's one of my pinnacle uh, guest achievements if I can ever oh yeah I'd love to talk to him about that experience yeah and, well let's see what we can do yeah you know, who knows absolutely right? same yeah. with you know Daniel Schmachtenberger and just any of that whole consilience crew it's or, an amazing thing that's emerged because of this medium it's a, just yeah. a, outstanding it is you know uh, in some senses you could say Jordan Peterson carved the the sort of pioneered the way along with some of the, some of the other folks like Rogan and such but yeah um, but but in terms of the the sense making part, yeah, I think there's a very small cadre of dedicated people. Verveke, Peterson in his own way, the Consilience Project, Zach Stein, Daniel Schmachtenberger, uh, Jordan Hall, Jordan Hall, uh, Jamie Wheel, mm-hmm. Rebel Wisdom, like yeah, there, and it's growing. I mean, there's there's a snowball effect happening, and like. Daniel Schmachtenberg was just on Rogan. I know, that's a pretty big deal. It was huge. Yeah. Pretty and big to deal. hear him talking, and, and part of me, <clears throat> like it was really refreshing to hear Rogan push back on a lot of points. Yeah, yeah. Because... In the everyman kind of way, exactly. too. Like those be- unanswerable questions that are so damn frustrating to get asked. Right, and because you know? everybody who's talking in, in this language is speaking some big words that I often have to go back and look up. Yeah. Like epistemics. Right. And ontology, right? And like, what the hell do these mean? Uh-huh. And 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 to understand how formative they are, and that we use them every day, they just have these fancy names. Uh-huh. That it's just about how we know what we know, and the means of knowing, um, you know, and the whole thing with um, Tristan Harris's documentary, yeah, coming out, and how people are just starting to grok the severity of the issue with social media and the information age and just how serious it is mm-hmm. in terms of the the onslaught of of humanity and and attention and and then McGillcrest comes into this right. for me in right. a huge way and his work is I mean I've just barely skimmed the surface and it's so dense yeah and so meaningful and so impactful his I, I like him as a person. Like that's a, how a lot of this strikes me is that I just like these people. Yeah. I like how they're the ethics that they're espousing. I like how they carry themselves through the the arguments. Um, that it is all based in good faith. It's all, and that is that for me is the foundation. Even more than the message. More I than totally anything agree with else. That. I mean, if you want to get McLuhan about it, it's like the yeah. the medium is good faith. Yeah. And that, to me, is where the service lies. And that's why I come to it from the creative aspect, is because yeah. that's the good faith for me. Yeah. I think play, flow, creativity are mm-hmm. just modes of being that we lose touch with. Yeah, well, I think it's missing from the conversation. Absolutely. Um, and it's there's, it's kind of hard to, in the, in the medium that exists uh, in podcast world or, or within the, um, even the, uh, even Rebel Wisdom's documentarian approach to it, um, it's, it's missing, you know, that's the... Yeah. the what the well you know the the thing that really moved me in our conversation 
among among many things i should say is uh is your f- profound understanding of ritual mm. and um well ritual ritual ceremony rhythm as relates to ritual and how that how there's a yeah. how the how that's needed in to me the the the, the arts particularly are, yeah. are uh, more than valuable so like if we go to an adult education thing at the waldorf school we have to do what the children are doing right so we have to do the you know the 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 things that they do and the reasons that they do them for the pro- the process of of embodying learning yeah right? and becoming deeply part of 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 um so that learning becomes part of them well that's right? just it isn't it it's embodiment yeah and and i think that that is the a big issue in what what's happening is that we are you know it's it's neck up and 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 the rest of it just follows and that you know ritual is intended to to marry those it's intended to marry spirit and body it's intended to marry mind and action it's intended to to marry people in a in a communal sense in a social sense mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, cosmo erotic sense as Zach yeah. Stein puts it and right exactly Gaffney, it's the uh, yeah and all of these people have this like I'm not saying that they don't like mm-hmm. Schmachtenberger has a practice clearly uh, uh, and his relationship to the Tao is is is, is important to him mm-hmm. Verveke has this uh, ecology of practices that he's promoting and then also you know, um, involving other people in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, clearly, uh, Zach Stein's a, a, a bass player, self-taught bass player who, 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 and that's part of his life. Jordan Hall is this sort of improvisational kind of, uh, approach to, to language and, and, and it's all quite beautiful. But, but I think that you, what you're saying is this, that this, that, that what you represent is a, is a niche in this, in this, the universe of folks. That, I think that's that, what's missing. I do from the conversation. I agree. I really do, because this is all very heady, abstract stuff. Because every until then, until you actually grab something that grounds you into being, it's all it's all words. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all abstract, and it's another source of distraction. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree with that. <clears throat> it could be, or um, or it's a portal, and it's yeah. something is opened up. I should here. specify that that's right how now. my brain works. Right now, something is yeah. opened up, and there's a reason why. Um, because on the other side of that equation is the lopping off of the head and the whole anti anti intellectual approach yes. of Amer- of American contemporary society. Yeah, whether it's uh, uh, um, um, left wing. Um, religious-like ideologies or right-wing um, uh, specifically fundamentalist fundamentalistic religious ideology or scientific fundamentalistic right. ideologies scientism um, um, they all uh, expect you to to leave your thinking at the door and accept mm-hmm. certain um, um, it's um, dogma um, yes, unexamined belief systems underlying mm-hmm. it. I think one of the things that Jordan Peterson does did was to say, "There's underlying axioms here," and it blew him apart. Right? Like like Nietzsche got blown apart right. from examining things at the, at it at the core. That's an apt comparison. I'm I think sure it is. And it, well, and, and I think that that I, I'm not sure he would make the comparison himself, but 
but uh, but that's what happened to Nietzsche. Is, yeah. is is he 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 faced this abyss that he talked about, and it's it what you know it's what Jung talked about is the unconscious. Uh, uh, I, I'm not a fan of the term unconscious. I think I think it's more something like supra conscious mm-hmm. uh, than unconscious. Um, it does have some. I mean, some I'm unconscious every night, right? So I know what that. And you dream. Is, is and isn't, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's the liminal states between being completely unconscious. And, right. And, and, and in the esoteric traditions, there's this, there, there is the idea that the, um, the un, that which is unconscious is the most conscious possible thing that there could be. And that there's a process to get to that waking up in dreamless sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, an, there's, a, there's a, uh, a long tradition of of practices to to make it there so if so so embodying also the so the embodying the intellect is also extraordinarily important Uh, obviously we can we can abstract away from reality and i think that's kind of what our society has done anyway so we're in this sort of place where um well it's the definition of insanity isn't it Mm -hmm. abstraction away from reality right it's that's where schizophrenia is and and coming back to McGilchrist, that's it, it dips into that that left brain phenomenon of representation as opposed to seeing things as they are. It's seeing things through through the lens of of your own um, processing. When yeah. people start to engage those tools, when they start to to actually want to listen to one another. I mean, so that's where we're at right now is nobody wants to listen to anybody else. They really got their head in the sand or they've got their own soundbite and their own bubble that they're focused on, whether it's, you know, right wing politics or left wing politics or, you know, whatever their flavor is, that we're so immersed in the information and there's so much of it, depending on whatever channel you plug into, that it's hard to disengage from that and to acknowledge all of the other perspectives as valid. We're so trained to think uh, I'm right and that's wrong, which is again, that's left brain thinking. Right. And um, and that is, again, I think that requires an embodied experience. It requires a, a quieting, it requires a stillness, it requires a willingness. Um, I, I I I agree with what you're saying. I think um, if I'm hearing you right, um, also, um, or at least this is my experience, and I think I think this is what I hear and what you're saying is that the the lexicon, the 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 language that we're using, like with ontological and epistemological and metaphysical, and these these terminologies that are interrelated, yet isomorphic from from each other. And so mutually influential are um, ways in toward an embodiment. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the problems I have with the embodiment movement at large is that um, um, as a whole is the the expectation that one would be embodied um, as if that were something that was not part of a developmental process. Mm. Right. So and define what you mean by embodied. Um, I mean that there, that you have, <clears throat> that your awareness is coming into mastery with 
the embodiment of your thinking, your feeling, and your willing. So a coalescing. A coalescing, uh, and yet a separation out. Mm-hmm. Um, and and a in a way, the way in which those things can dialogue, those phenomena can dialogue with each other, and that that's a process of something like digestion. Mm-hmm. But in in thinking, mirrors digestion, um, and feeling is the thing that sort of weaves them um, fluidly together, right? So um, so uh, we are evolutionarily speaking, where we're We've developed a, an extraordinary um, abstract intellectual capacity, and that's led to a kind of a dead end of materialism. And so that's sort of uh, what what McGilchrist refers to as left brain thinking. Yeah. But it's also brain centered thinking, <clears throat> as if thinking were something that happened in the brain, which I don't think there's any um, support for. But it's the dominant. That thinking doesn't happen in the brain. Yeah, that it, that it happens in the brain, that it's a product of the brain, that it can be, and this is a criticism, I, I suppose, or not a criticism, this is one of the limits that I think Verveke falsely puts on his work, which is you have to go back to the machinery. Right. Right. And I, and I don't think <clears throat> that's embodiment. I think that is an abstract notion of what embodiment is. Um, so if it doesn't happen in the brain, where does it happen? I think it happens between people. It happens mm. between um, um, living phenomena. Kind of like the mycelium in plants? Like there's a... The... A network, yeah, sort okay. of like... The, yeah, on one level, right? I think it happens... Um, this starts um, to touch into McGilchrist's matter with things theories. I don't know if you're familiar with what he's just written. No, but I love the language of it. It's mind-blowing, and I, I'm sure people can relate to the idea of being hungry for a book that hasn't been published yet or it's been published but you haven't gotten you like you're aching to get your teeth into something Uh it's a two-volume work that is about how consciousness and matter are different phases of the same thing that Mm -hmm. matter is consciousness that it's a different in the same way he talks about as in a chemical lexicon so ice is a different phase of water as liquid as as steam and that matter is a different phase of consciousness and that the brain does not uh, transmit consciousness but rather permits it and so that is very much i think in line with what what you're saying that it's it's not something that comes from here and spreads out right it is something that is permitted here but that it is it's a it's a framework it's a it's it's a it's permeated it it is the substrate of our existence i mean this is also comes to um david bohm's work in physics which uh, and i mean any quantum particle experiment basically gets down to the this notion that consciousness affects the material and the material affects consciousness right mm-hmm. um so I, I just that that parallel to me is is very very telling and very revealing. But I want to I want to get back to what you were saying about the idea of of thinking and and embodiment. And well, I think it's similar in a way. It's conciliant, like yeah. the the idea that um, thinking um, that thinking has feeling and willing in it. Yeah. Right. Real thinking, 
and thinking isn't um, local to me, mm-hmm. and it's not local to you. It's what's happening between us right now. Yeah, it's the um, um, from the Christian tradition. It is where two or more are gathered. Uh. Right. So that's a there's a real um, there's a real creative act occurring. In as much as we can find not what I know or not what you know, not what I think or what you think, but the way in which there's uh, those two things are are um, interwoven, yeah. entwined mm-hmm. in, in, an entwinement occurs. Um, I don't think it's any accident that somebody like Goethe's metamorphosis of plants in his work with with the plant world was a um, what happened from a, an artist, such a great artist, somebody who um, moved through nature without theorizing about nature, or at least without, uh, at least not in the um, intellectual sense of theorizing, maybe in the Greek theoria sense, yeah. or even in a theurgist sense, or maybe com- combining the two, mm-hmm. um, 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 beholdings in a way. Yeah. But he drew nature. And then he um, changed himself to meet what was happening in the plant and um, and recognized something that was archetypal in the plant. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is Jung put to botany. Right. Right. This is Plato put to Aristotle, in a sense. You could say, you know, mm-hmm. Aristotle's idea was that was the tilios, the idea that 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 everything had an inherent purpose and it was an expression of that inherent purpose. Um, I think that that's been um, truncated by Western um, ontology. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, I think what we need is a is a marriage between the Platonic and the Aristotelian. For sure. And we what we have are Aristotelians and and Platonists. Mm-hmm. You know, neo Aristotelians <laughs> and neo neo Platonists. It's sort of a marriage of of the Apollonian and the Dionysian. Yes, and finding that I mean, there's your left and right hemispheres again, right? Yeah. Well, and they need each other, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So it's not like um, <clears throat> it's not like um, the in McGill, McGillcrest, uh, Miguel Crest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was my mis- my mistyping. I love that. That, yeah. I, that was. Did you, was it this or no, was it, it voice? Was, it was speech to text. Yeah, that, was, that happens to me all the time, man. I get in so much trouble with Miguel the people Crest. at the store. <laughs> the people at the store, they because uh, I'm 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 texting and driving, you know, uh, on a on a communication thread for the for the leadership or for or for the staff, and 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 the things that come out make me sound like. <laughs> insane um illiterate mm-hmm. um insanely illiterate uh, it's 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 a funny little trap it keeps us honest keeps us liquid too <laughs> we have to sort of like contextualize what somebody might be saying which yeah. is pretty it's important true. it's it's a i hadn't thought of it like that but yeah you have to infer based on well put that in your mouth and what does miguel miguel crest sound like oh i thought it was delicious yeah <laughs> it was beautiful uh so there's a lot here. Yeah. Um, I'm really curious about how you, because you're obviously a very rich and deep thinker about these things, how you integrate this stuff into your life and into your work. So understanding that people are listening to this who might not know who you are, um, 
and I haven't introduced you. <laughs> said welcome to the quotidian, but we'll get to that. Just a little bit like that. Uh, we're just jumping I, in. I was thinking about it actually as I walked in, and we and we we're in conversation, and and this is a medium, so let's address the medium. And, yeah. And uh, um, I was thinking we were having conversation. It's me and you having conversation. It's been a while. Nice to see you again. Yeah. And uh, uh, suddenly. Where uh, if you, you've seen the um, Uncle Vanya on Forty Second Street, yes, right. They all just come off the street. And they all mm-hmm. just are, are there. When does the and play suddenly, begin? <laughs> right, beautifully. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what I thought about. Absolutely, yeah. oh, that's a great. Yeah, I love uh, Mr. Gregory's work. So yeah, that's great. So you, uh, when did you create the grocery? Um, Two thousand and eight um, is when we turned. We came and turned the gas station into a um, a functioning community grocery store that had a um, an elaborate restaurant embedded in it, or or maybe the restaurant came first in a certain sense because it was the draw, and then yeah. and then it developed a, an ability to serve the community um, um, as a as a small grocery, as a small sort of corner grocery store. It's it's of that size, yeah, thirty five hundred square it feet. Exists in a <clears throat> kind of a multitude of levels because it's a meeting place um it it has it's a very high-end corner grocery <laughs> we'll say that you go in and there's you know there's advanced charcuterie there's uh the kind of things that you would find in a normal country corner grocery um cigarettes toiletries gas, little yeah Debbie snack cakes exactly um, but then there's also a, very clearly a community around it was that your intention when you started the grocery or was it serving a need and i'm a restaurateur and i'm going to make this and what happens happens um um i would say that the intention was a seed and the seed had all of the potentials of what it is now in a way that is um beyond a simple explanation like i had a vision or that sort of thing Mm -hmm. i really wanted to bring i really like the idea of of bringing good food um in an everyday sense in a no frills environment in a in a um a, in a beautiful setting that's embedded within the farmland out of which much of of what we use as ingredients would be um conveyable how did you find saxbaha um it's a lovely word isn't it it is yeah do you know what it means uh, it's, it relates to, um, to a, um, as I understand it, a bastardization of the of a Spanish bastardization of the word sisipaha, mm. which is the the um, was the um, super local native Suian tribe that mm-hmm. lived along the banks of the Haw there, and they were related to uh, the Okanichi and 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 interrelated i would say and in many ways from economic to Mm -hmm. um uh relational other other forms of relational um activity i'm I'm not a scholar on this but yeah but um uh when the covid hit um i uh i was responsible for for my daughter's geography block (laughs) and the waldorf method starts with the extraordinarily local Mm -hmm. and then um, radiates out through the grades as as the perspective of the child um, develops into a more um, more and more toward a more global perspective, <clears throat> and so I learned some bit about that. So I can mm-hmm. I can answer some somewhat intelligently, and that's about the limit of my 
my knowledge there. Yeah. So that's where the word Saxbaha comes from. And how did you how did you come across? Because you came from Chicago. No, I was in Flint. I grew up in Flint, Michigan. Flint, Michigan. Okay. Uh, originally, and uh, uh, well, grew up originally, mm-hmm. um, and originally grew up there. Uh, and then I lived in Boston for a period of time and mm-hmm. then moved to North Carolina in the late 90s. <clears throat> and I'd always been involved <clears throat> with food. I was a butcher. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked at a kosher butcher shop in Boston. And um, it's I worked for Whole Foods as it was transitioning from uh, its local ownership to the m- mega structure it is now. <laughs> um and then worked for a small grocer in downtown Durham called Fowler's Food and Wine. And I it had been Fowler's. there since the early um, 1900s. Mm-hmm. Um, not at that location, but as an entity. And it had transitioned into, um, sort of morphosed into a, um, a more of a broad culinary experience. It had, it had a butcher shop already, uh, but added a kitchen and so i crossed over to the dark side into culinary world from (laughs) from there and basically uh, because of some really great people who came through there and and still exist within the triangle food scene and are um, really celebrated folks so i was very lucky to be in touch with those people and it was then that i i saw um i started to um um understand the importance of of a local um a local centered um community approach up to and including and even maybe especially the support of farmers um and craftspeople mm-hmm. um and so that was that was an experience that was formative yeah. and then i um Went and built a house in the woods of Chatham County. It's the first time I'd ever done run a circular saw, <laughs> for example, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, built a house around an old uh, logs uh, tobacco barn structure. And uh, during that time, I came in touch with the folks at Chatham Marketplace who are mm-hmm. who are looking to open um, the co-op, the food co-op, and I became a founding managing member and did the food and specialty food and all of that sort of stuff. So this is all part of my wheelhouse, you know, yeah. the, the butchery, cheese, pâtés. I worked at a green grocer that in, in Newton Center that had um, <clears throat> tons of that stuff and an incredible cheese selection and incredible yeah. pâté selection and charcuterie. And uh, so all those things have been part of my workaday life. Higher education was something I did along the side of that, sort of parallel to mm. that. Um, and I became more and more fascinated as a, as a student. As a student, um, uh, formally, um, off and on, mm-hmm. um, I finished up at University of Michigan Flint in the um, late '90s, and have been an independent scholar for my for my since then. I yeah. would say, so um, a lifelong learner. <laughs> yes, indeed. In order to you know, in order to inform my life, yeah. right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, uh, I'd met, uh, the folks who do the ballroom, the Hall River Ballroom, which is a performance center there in Saxpaha, Heather and Tom. And, uh, we, um, were invited to come and have a look at the space in Saxpaha. And I, I originally thought I would, 
of, of a little bistro bakery maybe even some um some butchery thrown in sort of all all of the, all the things i've ever done you know that that sort of idea yeah and uh and it's beautiful so it, i mean it, it, you go there it, it captures you there's something um about the energy of the place yeah i don't think there's any doubt about that and um and so i was drawn there as i was drawn in my um my late 20s and early 30s to to north carolina generally mm -hmm. speaking so that's a bit of a that part's a bit of a mystery but but the relationships were were sound and good and and clear and um and i wanted to do something um on my own mm -hmm. um and so entrepreneurially speaking it was just the right opportunity for for many reasons so that's how sax paw came about mm. right and so then as you you asked about <clears throat> it is a sort of what they call um i believe they call it the third place you know mm -hmm. that place that's not home and it's not work that you go to. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, was it um, was it Leonard Cohen or Tom Waits who wrote a song about that. Anyway, uh, anyway, yeah, it became a third place. And yeah. they, was that a dream? Yes, that was a dream. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, one of the things I said before we started it was. Um, um, I have my my heritage is French Basque, and uh, um, I said that we were going to start the the I'd, I think I just read the French revolutionary Jacques Lucerin, who was also an anthroposophist, who was um, blind since seven years old, and he was an extraordinary part of the French resistance. And I I, I had the idea that we in our back room we would have in the the French World War II, the, yes World War II, yeah, the, against the Nazis. Uh huh. Um, uh, the uh, that we would have the French American resistance there, you know, the French American <laughs> Revolution, or it's something, something like that, sort of combining the all of those. My heritage is, all is French Cajuns, so oh wow, yeah, we'll bring Les Acadiens into this and and stick it to the man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's always been that part of me, right? <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean. The idea um, was a place where people could come without ideological um, check baggage. your gun at the door. <laughs> check your well. I mean, you could bring your gun in. I suppose okay. you know. I'm, I I, I um, metaphorically speaking. Metaphorically speaking, uh, I, do, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know if you, <laughs> we don't if you, ask. You're carrying. Don't ask, don't I'm not going to shake you down when right. you walk in. Neither am I going to shake you down for your ideology. And one of the things I'm proud about is that we, it's a confluence of of people with different backgrounds, different views of the world, mm -hmm. different perspectives on the world, who can uh, exist peacefully and sometimes meaningfully together in, in this space, this sort of um, strange little outpost in a way. How, does, how do you see that manifest most frequently or most successfully? You mean the the confluence bit? Yeah, <clears throat> the the multitude of ideas and perspectives coming together. Oh well, you just walk in there any any evening, and yeah. we've set up a community table, um, which uh, which has has people from Chapel Hill visiting for the food, or for the experience, or for the destination of it, for whatever reason, for the lovely outdoor experience that they might have. Sitting next to a uh, um, uh, 
uh, a native of Alamance County who's um, whose family fought in the Civil War mm-hmm. and who have very strong ideas and pride about that. And uh, and you can sit and listen to a conversation between those folks. Um, uh, I would say that's um, that's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And probably eye-opening for both, I would hope, in some some sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've seen people. Um, I mean, this wasn't part of the goal, like, in this, at this level. Like, when, who, who knows, right? Who right. Knows when you when, when this sort of thing. Um, you make a space and it's a recipe, what fills it. Right? Fills it, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's an intuitive, it's an intuitive recipe. And, and it, it reconfigures all the time mm-hmm. as the as the area grows, as people who who are who are suspicious of us, uh, who are native to Alamance, um, um, for 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 folks who don't know Alamance County, Alamance is a is sort of a um, New Hampshireian uh, live free or die kind of yes. uh, libertarian kind of, um, and there's much to to. There's much to there's much honorable in that. I agree. Uh, there's and and it in it, it it goes sideways just like um, more um, supposedly well intentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, any, shit goes sideways. Any right? any any dogma <clears throat> brought to its its extreme will yeah will corrupt. Well, you know, and people don't people people don't separate themselves out into groups when they're together. They 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 meet each other as individuals to yeah to the degree that they have the wherewithal to do so so and speaking from my own experience coming into the the grocery there is not the sense that you get in some intentional eateries of a an agenda it's a very welcoming place. And that's, I mean, that is exactly the feeling that I get going there is that people are met the way they are, that there's, it's not, you know, to, to use a, an overused cliche, it's not a, a twee or hipster vibe, although there are elements of that there, but you also will get biker crews coming in and who feel as welcome there as do, you know, the, Chapel Hill intellectual folks and like you say you know the Alamance um, local contingent that there's there is a, a hybridization there that is that levels things yeah thank you that's beautifully said um, I, I think um, I have a forest and trees issue there because I'm I'm in the midst of it sure and and, uh, um, and I forget um, uh, how many people out of how many directions um, um, come as a destination, and so that the 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 there's regulars who who come from some distance, and then there's mm-hmm. new people who come constantly. It's just a constant flow of new faces. Yeah, and then there's the people who are rooted there, and there then there are the people also who are putting roots down there because they. They, they want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Right. And it also feels to me that th- keeping that central, remembering that what you're doing, and I, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like the, the ethos behind this is 
you're serving a very basic human need in in food, you know, basic board and well not basic in your sense it's very it's upscale um that the the idea of again an overused phrase build it and they will come in this sense is is create something that's that's worthwhile that's quality that has a as its agenda if there is one to create that community table to serve this need, to provide something where everyone can agree, this is damn good food, and we're all eating it. It has to be. It has to be. It has to be damn good food. Yeah, like exactly. That. It can't be. There can't be compromises for the purpose of trying to tell a story. To hear you talk about quality of food, that if that breaks down, then everything breaks down, because your intention. This is what's meaningful. This is what's valuable, and that by focusing on that and making that the the core of of the restaurant of the grocery everything else comes from that it doesn't matter if there's cobwebs up in the porch it doesn't matter if there's paint I, you noticed. <laughs> I love that every time nuts. i go there i'm like i can see what's important here yeah i yeah. can see what's important here yeah. the, the what's important is the the interconnectivity between mm. the social connections and that that is supported by the food right and that that's that's that is of a primacy that everyone, whether they are aware of it or not, is what creates the sense of of place and purpose. I yeah. think that's what I see. Yeah, there. the food is the is the um, connective tissue, right? It's the the glia, the glue, the mm-hmm. the thing that that binds the experience. Yeah. Um, and the the economics is the thing that constrains the experience, and constraint is extraordinarily important in mm-hmm. in doing what you're doing. Like you have to have a form. It's like uh, again to bring Goethe in. It was this his famous um, statement: "Gird up your loins, for only within structure is there freedom." Goethe up your loins. Goethe up your loins. <laughs> yes. What a self-absorbed. Bastard. Only in structure there is freedom. <laughs> only within structure is there yeah. freedom, right? And so we 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 create that structure uh, but we have to create it and 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 it works recursively on us um and we work recursively on it so it's a it's a it's a social organism Mm -hmm. right and i prefer to think about the um, the um ontological reality of the social sphere Mm -hmm. it's a it's a it's a real thing that we do together and um it takes not only an authenticity, which is what the food is and has, and right down to where it comes from, and the farmer you might be sitting next to yeah. when you're eating his filet mignon from the cow that he raised mm-hmm. across 87 in snow camp. Mm-hmm. Um, that's authenticity, right? And and it's not sellable. It's not a marketed authenticity. It's there. We don't. We we talk about it because we need to tell the story. Mm-hmm. But we we are we are we don't tell the story enough because we're not thinking about telling the story. We're thinking about doing the work. Yeah. Um, and part of the work is still telling the story and we've gotten a little bit better at that. Um, but the food is the thing that binds and the, that it's an economic organization is the thing that can gives us the structure to do the thing that we need to do. Mm-hmm. We're not a church, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a, and we're not a school we're, uh, but we have elements of the religio. We mm-hmm. have elements of, of the 
the epistemic commons. We're not also um, divorced from the world. The world visit us, visits us. I mean, it brings young people to us that have been, um, you know, essentially abused by a, um, a educational system that sees them as a as some form of commodity. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Whether they're a, a literal commodity of attention or they're a um, somebody to be trained for the workforce. Yeah. Um, as opposed to the full complexity of who they are as human beings. And so that's part of the work. Yeah. That's part of the way we have to think about the way we do things, just like the way we produce the food is, um, is done with uh, the best intentions to do the to have the best quality thing that we can produce, mm-hmm. um, it is to be in com- in community with uh, with our staff in a way that makes uh, for an environment for the best quality of of people to emerge from it. Yeah, right. And emergence is a is a mysterious thing. I'm not saying that we've we, you know we've got the corner on the market or yeah. anything like that and we're imperfect and it's it's more implicit than it is explicit and we're trying to make it more explicit through our work together um, um but there's something there in in terms of the attention and that's another mcgillcrest word that he, there's a a very short sentence in and i forget it's very <clears throat> early on in in the master and his emissary which is his book about left and right hemisphere where he says attention is a moral act which blew my mind when i read it because yeah i heard you speak about that in in your in your your podcast with your with carol with Burbank. carol yeah mm-hmm. and and it's yes. it's that a, really moved that really was like oh i see <laughs> yeah yes of exactly course yeah and and, and, and in, in the in the most basic term and we don't think of it in that in that way when I hear you talk about, say, you know, the filet mignon from the the farmer's livestock from a uh, a nearby farm, and I think about this notion of, you know, that's that is not an, an ex- necessarily a, um, an explicit intention that you bring people to when when you're serving that. It is implicit. Mm-hmm. It's implicit, and it's it's presentable and it's it's something that <laughs> it's this idea again to McGillchrist this idea of the permitter of consciousness rather than the emitter of consciousness that we sense these things on whatever level whether it's molecular or cerebral or social or you know that those those components of are there through attention, intention, through um, presentation, through representation, that there's an experience that's not curated. It's it is it just is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In a way, it's curated by the attender. Yeah, the attender, the, right. the people who show up. Yeah, get to participate by by participating in the curation of mm-hmm. the of the organism Mm -hmm. it's a it's a it's a being yeah the thing is a being it's a it's there's just no other way to describe it uh um it has its own identity its own life it was born in the during the great recession for example yeah um it 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 was it was um hit with covid 
and and inborn was the resilience that was inborn um, at the point of uh, being born at the Great Re- Recession. Mm-hmm. So it has its own life. I mean, it's its own <laughs> identity, its own structure, its own structure is not even a, its own complex of ontological realities, right? Yeah. It's it's economic organization. It's a it's a human rights organization. It's a it's a, um, a it's a and it's a uh, dare I say a spiritual practice organization to some extent. Absolutely. And, dare and um, and I think that that's that in a world dominated by um, economic utility and utilitarianism coming out of um, um, American pragmatism, um, that it takes some pushback effort to make room for um, a epistemic commons, for example, that is not ideologically captured, mm-hmm. and for a um, um, an understanding that each individual brings a, a, a gift as an individual, which oddly enough makes them more universally um the more they actualize that individuality the more they're they're actually a a part of the human project as a universal uh reality as a global planetary reality like this is our responsibility we're we're citizens of a planet now yeah it's not this country and that country or this community and that community where we are we are we are all tied together to the degree that we we can um, bring our gifts and so this is a small little place where we try to provide that yeah uh, for people to 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 bring to the table so to speak whether it's the community table that customers sit at or it's the it's the table that we set as the people who work there mm-hmm. and um, it's a it can be a transcendent experience for people thanks for sticking around to the end of the episode for more information about this and other related topics you can visit us at thequotidianpod.com where you'll find links and previous episodes you can discover more about carolina commons and the work we do there in person at carolinacommons.org thanks for listening and for keeping an open mind Be well.